The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. LinkedIn presents. The truth is that others are not focused on us like we are focused on ourselves. To varying degrees, everyone walks around with their own spotlight. They, too, are at the center of their own universe. They're wondering if their hair is out of place. They're wondering if you judge them for walking in late to a meeting. They're wondering if you admired the brilliant insight they offered at your last team call. As David Foster Wallace reminded us in Infinite Jest, you will become way less concerned with what other people think of you when you realize how seldom they do. Happy Friday. This is the Next Big Idea Daily, and I'm your host, Michael Kovnat. I've got a question. What do people think of you? Do they think you're cool, smart, attractive, or do they secretly think you're kind of a loser? Now I've got a better question for you. Who cares? The amount of our precious lives that we spend thinking about the opinions of others is enormous and tragic, as understandably human as it may be. But not only is this mindset a huge waste of time, it's holding you back in myriad ways. So says Michael Gervais, author of the new book, The First Rule of Mastery, Stop Worrying About What People Think of You. Michael is a high-performance psychologist, co-creator of the Performance Science Institute at the University of Southern California, and founder of the Finding Mastery Consulting Agency. Here he is to share key insights from the book. As a performance psychologist, my role is to unlock the potential of individuals, teams, and organizations. Over 25 years of working with the world's best performers across sports, business, and the arts, I found the single greatest impediment to unlocking human potential is the fear of people's opinions, FOPO. FOPO is a phenomenon so pervasive and familiar that we often don't even recognize it, even when it's influencing our decisions our self-worth, or our perceptions of success and failure. Just as in M. Night Shyamalan's iconic film, The Sixth Sense, where the young protagonist Cole Sear has the uncanny ability to see the dead, when you tune into the presence of Fopo, you can suddenly see it everywhere. You begin to notice it when a colleague hesitates to voice an unpopular opinion during a meeting, or when a friend changes their outfit several times, seeking validation. You see it in the young athlete who double-checks their every move, worried about what the crowd thinks more than the game itself. You might even spot it in yourself, in the slight hesitation before posting a picture online, or the anxiety that arises when thinking about how others might perceive your choices. With FOPO, we are held hostage by the unseen, often imagined judgments and expectations of others. The persistent rumination about what others may be thinking draws us out of the present moment, pulls resources away from deep focus on the task at hand, which is required for growth and improvement, and inhibits our ability to take in new information and ideas and creates a tax on human energy. The self-reliance myth that underpins Western culture makes for great storytelling and effective branding but masks a fundamental truth. No one does it alone. 
self-reliance and rugged individualism are embedded in the Western psyche. But there's a more foundational need, the human need to belong. In 1995, two leading social psychologists, Roy Baumeister and Mark Leary, published a landmark article suggesting that belonging is not just a desire, but a need, a deeply rooted human motivation that shapes our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Up to that point, belonging had not really been considered as a motive behind human social behavior. Baumeister and Leary posited that the desire for social acceptance and belonging may be the motive that accounts for more human behavior than any other motive. Our social drive is not something we learn, a pragmatic skill we acquire to support our narrow self-interest. As social neuroscientist Matthew Lieberman describes it, our social operating system is part of the basic components of who we are as mammals. It's in our nature to have as the center of one's life, not me, but us. We have, though, put the self at the center of Western life in the 21st century. In the process, we have untethered ourselves from the whole of who we are. Never has the idea of a separate self occupied such a prominent place in society. The self has supplanted the group as the basic building block of society. Individual rights, needs, and wants are sacrosanct, and the individual is the filter through which we view economic, legal, and moral problems. Uncoupling the self from a larger social context creates a host of conditions that fuel our fear of people's opinions. In the culture of self, both achievements and failures are perceived to depend entirely on one's own efforts. While that idea can be a source of motivation, you can change the world, it can also undermine our self-esteem. When we identify as a separate self, we take authorship of what happens around us, including those things we don't control. Life unfolds, things happen, and then we layer on the subjective interpretation that they are happening to me. They are happening because of me, because of something I am doing or not doing. We give ourselves too much credit when things go well and too much blame when things don't work out. We turn our experiences against ourselves and they become a referendum on ourself. We feel like we are not enough, imposters. Consequently, we are continually in pursuit of our worth and evading the fear of our inadequacy. We are running to stay ahead of our self-judgments and the opinions and judgments of others. The ever-present need to prove ourself distances us from others and undermines our relationships. The focus is on meeting the needs of oneself, not the other person or the relationship. In the process, we often put ourselves in competition rather than collaboration with the other person. Rather than being a part of the circle of people we trust, we push them away, often into the realm of people's opinions we fear. Cornell professor Thomas Gilovich and his team carried out a social experiment that revealed a central factor behind our susceptibility to fear of people's opinions. We grossly overestimate the attention others pay to us. We think we are in the spotlight and all eyes are observing our every move. This phenomena exasperates our fear of people's opinions as we often believe that every small mistake or imperfection is being closely scrutinized and judged by others. But it's not true. 
underlying the phenomena is an egocentric bias. We live at the center of our own worlds. We are acutely focused on our own behavior and appearance, and we tend to believe that other people are equally focused on us. That doesn't imply we are self-absorbed. Rather, our worldview is a product of our own experiences and perspective, and we attempt to understand other people's thoughts and actions through that same lens. The truth is that others are not focused on us like we are focused on ourselves. To varying degrees, everyone walks around with their own spotlight. They, too, are at the center of their own universe. They're wondering if their hair is out of place. They're wondering if you judge them for walking in late to a meeting. They're wondering if you admired the brilliant insight they offered at your last team call. As David Foster Wallace reminded us in Infinite Jest, you will become way less concerned with what other people think of you when you realize how seldom they do. The value we place on social approval is rooted in our evolutionary history. As social creatures, our survival depended on our ability to function within a group. Being accepted by the group was crucial, so we developed a heightened sensitivity to the opinions of others. However, in the modern world, this concern has become an unproductive obsession. Our fear of people's opinions is an anticipatory mechanism that involves psychological, physiological, and physical activation to avoid rejection and get approval. FOPO is an exhaustive attempt to preempt a negative opinion by persistently interpreting clues in our environment. We read body language, microexpressions, words, silence, actions, and inactions. We want to prevent something, an unfavorable opinion, that has not yet occurred and may not happen at all, but it presents a potential threat. Unsure about the other person's intent, we rely on our own interpretation of what they are thinking about us. Instead of, oh, I better course correct based on real feedback about an event and my own internal perspective, FOPO attempts to look around corners. Oh, I better course correct before I receive any confirming data based on what I imagine could happen. FOPO is characterized by a hypervigilant social readiness, relentlessly checking and scanning in search of approval or to stave off rejection. Like an application that quietly runs in the background of a computer and consumes memory, processing power, and battery life and slows down our performance, FOPO depletes our internal resources and ultimately undermines the quality of our lives. We live in a performance-obsessed culture. A fixation with how well we perform has seeped into business, school, youth sports, social media, and is reflected in popular culture. Podcasts offer signposts to finding mastery. Books unlock greatness codes, strip mine wisdom from outliers, and reveal the tools of titans. Consulting giants promise to equip people and organizations to unleash sustained performance. Celebrity instructors share their journeys and insights in online courses. Top 10 lists show us the shortcuts and hacks to the high-performance mountaintop, though in reality, there are none. Technology has leapt into the performance party. Driven by the adage, you can't improve what you can't measure, we now have performance metrics for almost everything we do. Digital devices and apps measure the substrata of human performance. Hours slept, calories consumed, 
time managed, workflow, productivity, engagement, well-being, impressions, followers, likes, comments, social reach, potential reach, click-through rate, breaths taken, breaths held. Out of that obsession, a new form of identity has emerged, the performance-based identity. When our identity is linked to performance, the quality of our performance defines who we are. We arrive at an understanding of who we are by comparing our performance results to others. We think that if we successfully perform, then we'll feel good about ourselves. If I get that book published, if I can close that deal, if I can get that promotion, if I can get through that to-do list, if I can make the honor roll, if I can be top sales across the company, if I get nominated for an Academy Award, if I win our local club tournament, if my social post goes viral, our self-esteem becomes contingent on our performance and the outcome of the event. Achieving our performance objective only provides temporary relief because just behind that performance lies the next one. Our self-esteem becomes the byproduct of a series of if-then statements, and we end up on the never-ending loop in pursuit of our self-worth. The pursuit of excellence and high performance is important. We learn about ourselves by doing difficult things and testing the boundaries of our perceived limits. But when the core motivation of pursuing excellence is proving our self-worth, mistakes, failures, opinions, and criticism are experienced as threats rather than learning opportunities. Developmental scientist and USC associate professor, Dr. Ben Holtberg, who has extensively studied the motivations behind the pursuit of excellence, points out that identity does not operate just inside a person's domain of expertise. It's a pattern of thinking that gets transferred to other areas. It shows up in relationships. It plays out at work and in parenting. If it's not dealt with, it cascades throughout your life to the point that you always feel like your worth and identity are based on your performance. Thank you, Michael. Well, everyone, not that I'm overly concerned about what you think of me, but I do hope you enjoyed this week's episodes. Remember, you can find all these insights on our Next Big Idea app, and you can sign up for my newsletter to get a weekly summary of the latest and greatest in nonfiction. Just use the link in the episode notes or search for The Next Big Idea on LinkedIn. This week's episodes were written and produced by me and edited by Caleb Bissinger. The Next Big Idea Daily is part of the LinkedIn Podcast Network. I'm Michael Kavnet. See you next week.